Good morning. Glad to see some of y'all came back this week. Wasn't sure if anybody would be back. Uh, not going to be tearing up any instruments this morning, so that will come as uh, good news to some of you, especially those on the front row here. Um, if you were here uh, last week, you may remember that I used someone's name in the message and a story about that person, and um, I told a story about a conversation we had in the parking lot. I may have exaggerated the story just a little bit, um, but it was the, the spirit of the conversation. And uh, since then, it's been kind of interesting because every time somebody's told me a story, I'll say, hey, I might use that in a message. And they have this horrified look over their face. And, and right now, there are people sweating out there. They're thinking, did I tell him a story? So this morning, I'm going to start with a story about my family. So I'm not going to throw anybody under the bus this morning. Um, I like to play jokes on people. Some of you know that about me. Sometimes I play jokes on the people in my family. Um, sometimes these jokes are uh, really well thought out. You know, the classic stuff, like if you put a rubber band around the sprayer on the kitchen sink, if you put a rubber band around that, when somebody comes and turns the sink on, it'll spray the water right at their stomach. My wife loves that. When my wife Angie loves when I do that. She comes and turns the sink on, sprays all over. Other times, I don't think my joke's through. An opportunity reveals itself, and I go with it. So I was driving down US 27. My son was in the passenger seat, my 16-year-old son, Brennan. So we're driving down the road, minding our own business, and a truck that I recognize to be Russell Thomas pulls out of a side row in front of me. Russell was the guy just playing guitar right here. So um, I also recognize that he's driving the truck, and uh, he's a member here, Plum Creek. He's a friend. Apparently, my son did not recognize that it was Russell. Opportunity. So uh, I pretend that I'm really upset. This guy's pulled out in front of me. I start flashing my lights. I start blowing my horn. Uh, most people around recognize my, my truck. And uh, I was confident that Russell knew it was me that he pulled out. I think that's the reason he probably pulled out was to play a joke on me. So he pulls out in front of me. So for the next mile or so, I'm just really laying it on thick with my son. I'm like, I don't know who this guy thinks he is. I can't believe he pulled out in front of me. I'm still flashing lights. I'm still blowing the horn. And the tension in the car just continues to build. So Russell, who has no idea what's happening in my car, starts to slow down. So I pass him safely. And my son never looks over to see who it is. So uh, at that point, I realize he has no idea who this is, and I say, hey, let's pull over and fight this guy. <laughs> he says, yeah! <laughs> so I, I mean, I'm kind of surprised that he has sucked into this joke so far. I mean, it is totally out of character for me to even have the slightest bit of road rage because I constantly exhibit the fruits of the Spirit, peace, patience, kindness, self-control, those kind of things. But again, opportunity, Right? So uh, we're now at my driveway, right out here on US 27. So I've, I turned my blinker on. I've slowed down almost to a complete stop because I'm turning into my house. Brennan thinks that we're stopping to fight. Um, Russell behind me is completely clueless still of what's happening in our vehicle. So Brennan's getting more and more worked up. Russell's blinking lights, blowing the horn. 
To the best of my knowledge, Brennan has never been in a fight. You can ask him about that after service. He certainly has never seen me in a fight. But his adrenaline's pumping. His veins are popping out. His muscles are flexed. So Russell's still joking around with us behind us, blinking lights, blowing the horn. I pull into my driveway, and I look over, and Brennan has his arm and half his body out the window of the car. I come to a complete stop. I'm cracking up that he's still into this thing. And I say, Brennan, why do you have your hand stuck out the window? And he turns to me and yells, I flipped him off, Dad! (laughs) So as soon as he yells that, three things happen all at the same time. First, I feel my heart sink into my stomach. And I'm mortified that my son has just flipped off my friend and a member of the church. Two, I look to Brennan and say, Brennan, why did you do that? I was joking. It's Russell. And three, my phone rings. And it says Russell Thomas at the top. So I'm panicked at this point. I'm trying to figure out what I'm going to do. I'm stopped in the driveway. And I decide I probably should answer the phone. So I answer, and the first thing out of Russell's mouth is, who is riding in your truck with you? I said, Angie, why? So so I have learned my lesson. I never joke around anymore. And I do have to say I'm thankful that was Russell and not one of the elder's wives. If that had been Judy Graziani, I would still not be leaving the house today. (laughs) But I tell you that story because we never know what our kids are going to do. And I really do have incredible kids, but we never know what they're going to do or what they're going to say. So today we continue to study the Ten Commandments, and we see God's people are a lot like that. They will do things that are unexpected. Many times totally unexpected. Last week we talked about how God had already set his people free from slavery. He had already adopted them into his family and that's when he gave them the law. And in giving the law he had Moses come to the top of Mount Sinai. There Moses received ten commandments, the law from God. We see that in Exodus 20. And God spoke all these words. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself an idol in the form of anything in heaven above or on earth below or beneath or in the waters below. You shall not bow down to them or worship them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God. So here we have just the first two commandments that we're going to dig into today. And the timeline of how all this happens can be a little bit tricky. Moses actually climbs Mount Sinai to get these commandments. And if you read Exodus 19 through 35, you can, you can page through that, you'll see that Moses climbs that mountain eight times. One of those times was to hear the law, and he brings it down, he tells the people. Another time, the sixth trip up the mountain, was to actually get the stone tablets that God himself wrote the commands on. So God sets his people free from slavery. He gives them clear boundaries of how to live. On one of those trips up the mountain, Moses goes up, Moses comes down. God's people proclaim, everything the Lord has said, we will do. 
that seems like an appropriate response. That's what I hope my children will say. Everything you say, I will do. It doesn't always work out like that. Moses goes back up the mountain, this time to learn from God how to build a place of worship, kind of like a temple. They call it a tabernacle. You can read about that in Exodus. And it was on this trip up the mountain that God's people did something unexpected. God's people said, come, make us gods who will go before us. As for this fellow Moses who brought us out of Egypt, we don't know what's happened to him. Is that shocking to you? I mean, maybe not because maybe you really don't understand the timeline, but let me put it this way. God's people were slaves in Egypt for 215 years. In other words, generations. God delivers his people from slavery through miracles. We call those the plagues, and you can read about those. God provides everything for his people as they leave Egypt. He gives them quail to eat and manna. God says, have no other gods before me. Don't make idols. God's people say, yes, Lord, we'll do exactly what you say. Moses is gone for 40 days. Just 40 days. And God's people say, Moses is never coming back. God's left us. Let's make a cow of gold and worship it. Seems a little ridiculous to me. I mean, some of you have probably been on business trips that lasted more than 40 days. Certainly many of you went away to college for more than 40 days. Can you imagine coming home from that trip and finding out that your family just totally gave up on you? Well, I guess he's not coming back. That's exactly what God's people did. Last week we called this gathering at Mount Sinai the proverbial family meeting. And God's children broke the law of the family meeting while they were still at the family meeting. This making of a golden calf was sin, clearly violating the first two commands. Sin means missing the mark of how God wants us to live. Sin always leads to suffering. We talked about that clearly last week. So God tells his people, you are not created to have other gods. You are not created to worship idols. It's not what's best for you. If you miss the mark on this, it will bring suffering. Some people just wonder about that, though. They wonder why. Why is it so bad that we have other gods or that some people have other gods? Oprah thinks it's, you know, it's great to have other gods. And there's all, all these gods are like a wagon wheel, and all the spokes lead to, to the, the true answer in the center. But maybe you don't have that question at all. Maybe you just think, well, this is, isn't something that applies to me. Maybe you looked ahead and saw what commandments we were studying today, and you thought, well, I can tune out today. I can stay out in the gathering area and drink coffee. I don't need to, to listen to this because I don't have any other gods. I don't have any idols at my house. I've never been tempted to worship something else. I do want to address the fact that there are many people in the world today who worship other gods and idols. There are six major religions in the world today, and three of them are considered polytheistic. That means they worship multiple gods. There are over two billion people in the world who practice this type of religion. That's roughly the same number of Christians there are in the world. In some of these religions, worshipers might bow down to the god of fertility. They might pray to the god of the harvest. And I don't claim to be an expert on world religions, but I do know some people that believe this way. I consider them friends. Maybe you know them too. And what I do know is that they're regular people. They care about the same things that I care about. They love their kids. 
They get up in the morning, they go to work or school, they make plans for the weekend, they have favorite TV shows. They really aren't all that different from us. Now you may be saying, wait a minute, I am not like people that worship idols and gods. I mean, worshiping multiple gods, worshiping plants and animals, I am nothing like this. This is, a, uh, this is an actual idol that some people in the world, even today, are worshiping. I mean, these people actually worship animals. I just don't get it, you may be saying. And then when they worship these animals, they worship in a strange way. I mean, they paint their faces, they throw their hands up in the air, they wear all kinds of colorful clothes, and I just, I'm nothing like that. It's very primitive. And if you think about the gods mentioned in the Bible, I, I see where you're coming from. You see, God's people who had been living in Egypt had worshipers of these gods around them all the time. The Egyptians worshipped a hunting god. So if they wanted to have a successful hunt, they would pray to the god and her. They had a childbirth god. It was a frog. And if someone was about to have a baby, they would pray to the frog, Heket. They had a health god. It was a lion. And if they wanted to get rid of disease, they would pray to Sekhmet. They had a grain god, and if they wanted a big harvest so they could become wealthy, they would pray to Nepper. All kinds of gods all around, all the time. But the thing about false gods is, they always lie. They never deliver on what they promise. The real god is a jealous god because, well, he's real. A false god doesn't care if you worship another god. They have no power. They're not real. They don't keep promises. In fact, I believe somewhere false gods were made up because people just wanted to be self-indulgent. They wanted to live outside of the way God created them to live. They wanted to live outside that way, and we learned last week that all of us are born with this thirst to do things our own way that comes all the way back from Adam and Eve. So if people wanted to indulge in sex, they just created a sex god. If they wanted to indulge in hoarding, they just created a wealth god. But false gods only lie. They offer no hope, no fulfillment, no truth, only lies. And we think it sounds so primitive. We think this command has nothing to do with us because we're so advanced or we're so holy. But I imagine if we transported someone who worships many gods from around the world, if we transported them to the United States, they'd look around and think, we're not any different from you guys. Our gods have different names, We pray to them for different reasons, but overall, they would find a lot of similarity in our two cultures. For example, what if we dropped a person off at a sporting event? Might they believe that our mascots bear a striking resemblance to the idols that they worship? And if we were actually able to get coveted tickets to this sporting event, do you think if we took that person to the game, do you think they might find some similarities in our fans cheering And they're worshipers? You may think, that's a silly example. And I'm not saying it's terrible to be a fan of a sports team. It would be pretty hypocritical for me to say that. But I do think we should be aware of the dangers. Because we need to consider what we talked about last week. 2 Peter 2 says, a man is a slave to whatever has mastered him. So maybe your favorite sports team is something that's mastered you. You're a slave to it. You serve it. It's where your money goes. It's where your attention goes. Whether you have a good or bad day depends on how your team played the night before. If the Cats won, you have a little bounce in your step. If the Cats lost, 
you kick the cat on your way out the door in the morning. If your quarterback threw three interceptions on Saturday, you're not even coming to church on Sunday. Whatever our life's centered around is our idol. It's our God. It's what we worship. So who do you worship? I worship God. I come to church most Sundays. I'm part of a life group. I hand out groceries at the sharing center once a month. I went on a mission trip back in the 90s. But is that really what your life is centered around? Is God really where you're spending your time, where you're giving your attention and your energy? Maybe the sports analogy doesn't mean much to you. Maybe your idol, uh, the God that you serve, is something different. There's no shortage of false gods in America today. It's what you center your life around. It's what you spend your money on. It's what you give your attention to. And the funny thing about idols is that they can be good things, but when they become God things, they become bad things. Think about your reputation. Hopefully that's a good thing. But if you let what other people think about you consume you, if you spend your money on making people think you are someone you're not, if you give all your time and attention to making sure you keep up with the neighbors, if you cut the grass and then three days later cut it again because your neighbor just did, that maybe has become your God, your reputation. Or what about your job? Having a job's a good thing. But did you know that it's somewhat unique to America that when we meet people, we ask them, what do you do? In many cultures, it's considered rude to ask somebody about their job. And I think it's funny that this question, what do you do, means our job. That's what we're talking about. Why doesn't it mean what do you do for fun? Or what do you do to relax? Or what do you have your life centered around? But when someone asks us what we do, we tell them about our job. Maybe our job defines who we are. And if our job defines who we are, it may be a, an idol. It may be a false god before the true god. And jobs are good things, but when we make them god things, they become bad things. Maybe your god or your idol is politics or patriotism. They can be good things, but when our life's centered around them, if it's where we spend our money and our energy and our time, it becomes our god, it becomes a god thing, and that becomes a bad thing. And I could go on and on, but I think you get the picture. So I have a task to ask you to do this week. Take a look at your life. Be intentional. Take a look at your life. Look at your checking account. Look at your calendar. And think about what your life is centered around. If you have a spouse, might be a good thing to talk about this week. I think it's a great thing to talk about with your children. Want some honesty? Ask your kids what you have your life centered around. My kids would say, I think, my job, fishing, Louisville Cardinals, golf, and hopefully God. But in writing this message this week, I realized that I've got some work to do. I've got some other things that are at the center of my life. False gods. And what I've found out with all these false gods is that they're really the same as the false gods in the Bible. They're the same as that elephant that some people are worshiping. These false gods that I have in my life, they all lie. They don't lead to fulfillment. They just leave me feeling sort of empty. Anybody here feel sort of empty? I was thinking about the book of Romans. It was written after Jesus was on earth, about 1,500 years after the Ten Commandments. 
I'd like to talk about Romans for a few minutes. If you have a Bible and want to turn there, we're going to look at three different passages. Romans chapter 1 is where we'll start. So turn over there to Romans 1. Now, Paul is the author of Romans. A guy named Paul writes a letter. And in chapter 1, he says that the wrath of God is being revealed against all godlessness and wickedness of men. This isn't just about some kind of punishment for disobedience. He's saying that there is suffering that comes from living outside of the way God created us to live. And then in verse 22, he says this, chapter 1, verse 22. Although these people, these godless and wicked men, although they claim to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images made to look like mortal man and birds and animals and reptiles. Paul is talking about worship here. He says these people, and this applies to us, who were created to worship God, the real God, they exchanged God for images of something created. A sports team, money, job, our kids. Our kids could be our God. And when we put these things in the center of our life, we, uh, when we worship these things, false gods it leads to suffering because we were, re- we were created to worship the one true God. When we have this unnatural worship, when we worship these other things, these created things, when we center our lives around these things, guess what happens? We start to become like those things. That's what worship does. That's what worship is really about. It makes us become like what we're worshiping. When we worship something, we become like it. Think about it. God created people in his own image. Adam and Eve messed that up when they tried to do things their own way. We talked about that last week. So God gave us the law, the Ten Commandments. He had already freed us. He had already saved us. He had already adopted us. And then he gave us the law. He wanted us to see what his nature was like and how we could live the way we were created to live. The Ten Commandments really explain who God is. But we messed that up too. So then he sent us Jesus. The Ten Commandments point straight to Jesus. And because Jesus died for us, because he saved us, we worship him. And when we worship Jesus, when we worship false gods, we become like false gods. When we worship Jesus, we become like Jesus. Turn with me now to Romans 8. Romans 8, 28. And we know, Romans 8, 28, and we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the likeness of his son. That word likeness is the same Greek word that Paul uses for image in chapter 1. So hear this. Romans chapter 1 says, Wicked and godless men exchange the glory of God for an image of something created. And when we worship that created thing, we become more like it. We were created in the image of God, but we become more like the image of a false God. But then Romans 8 says that those who live the way we're created to live were being conformed into a different image. They're being conformed into the image of Jesus, and that happens through worship. So we're becoming more and more like Jesus when we live the way God created us to live. And then, in Romans 12, Therefore, 
I urge you, brothers, in the view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. Who do we worship? One true God. Why do we worship? Because that's what we're created to do. What, do we, what happens when we worship? We become more like Jesus. How do we worship? Well, if you read the rest of chapter 12, it tells you things like serving, teaching, encouraging, contributing, leading, showing mercy. We might just say serving others. That's how we worship. It's so much more than just coming in here and singing a couple songs once a week. And those things should sound familiar because all of us are worshiping something. Whatever's at the center of our lives, that's what we're worshiping. That's what we're serving. That's what we're contributing to. Those should sound familiar. What we spend our time and energy on, that's what we worship. And when we worship the way we're created, worshiping the one true God, serving others, spending time on others, contributing to others to help them see Jesus, we find fulfillment because that's what we're created to do. Or we worship something created. We're serving that thing. We're contributing in that thing. We're spending our time on that thing. And we find ourselves empty and lost because we're not doing what we're created. Jesus asked an import, uh, was asked what the most important commandment was. And he basically summarizes all of the Ten Commandments in this. Love God, love others. So how do we love God? By living the way we were created to live, by worshiping Him, by coming, becoming more like Him. How do we worship? By loving others, serving others, being generous. That makes us more like Jesus. So I want to give you some real practical things to do this week. We already talked about being intentional about talking about your idols, talking about your false gods. Figure out what those are. Maybe it's money. Maybe it's pride. Maybe it's a sports team. Maybe it's your kids. Maybe it's your job. Once you identify that, work on intentionally moving that out of the center of your life. But I also want you to think about the promise that is in this command. God says, have no other gods before me. Don't worship created things. Those are false gods. Those are liars. They'll never bring you fulfillment. God knows that. He created you. He knows what will bring fulfillment to your life. So spend some time this week thanking God that he's revealing those false gods in your life. Because really it means you don't have to live in disappointment anymore. When you live with those things as your God, it's a life of disappointment. And God is offering you a promise that you don't have to live that way anymore. Here's one easy way to worship Jesus that you can do right now. Our children's team at Plum Creek is killing it right now. They are doing more than they've ever done before. And you know why? Because we have been intentional about connecting with families with kids. Our children's ministry is intentional about helping those families raise kids who know Jesus. And we have um, people who come to Plum Creek specifically because of this. We're beginning to get a reputation in the community about this. On any, any given Sunday here at Plum Creek, 20% of the people in this building are younger than 12 years old. And every week for the past month, I've been out in the gathering area, one of the volunteers has come back to me and said, we had to open a new room today. We had to open another room because we just had so many kids. The problem we have right now is that we don't have enough leaders for those kids. 
We have space, but not enough adults. And we won't put 32-year-olds in a classroom. 32-year-olds. We won't put 32-year-olds in a classroom for three reasons. Some people are already laughing. Number one, it's not safe, and we care about safety of our kids. Number two, the volunteers would never come back if they survived the week. (laughs) Number three, if there are that many kids in the room, none of them are learning about Jesus. So the children's ministry team, the preschool team, is faced with a tough decision. In the near future, they may have to stop taking kids in full rooms. So I want you to imagine for a second, we have a guest at Plum Creek. They've heard about our children's ministry. They haven't been to church in decades, and they decide to give Plum Creek a try. They show up here. They come and check their kids in. They go back to the room, and they have their two-year-old ready to go in the room. And the volunteer says, sorry, room's full. Here's a coloring sheet. Those folks are going to go get in their car, and they're going to go to the restaurant and have breakfast. There is a solution to this. It's more adults. And there's a, queer, uh, there's a clear le- way that you can worship God this morning. We need, ah, first service I said, we need 20 adults to sign up to help. Now we need nine adults to sign up to help. We had 11 adults in first service that signed up. We still need nine adults to go and sign up. All you have to do is go to the Connection Center. They'll sign you up. They'll get you on the rotation They will train you this morning. It will take 15 minutes. They'll give you a t-shirt to wear when you come and work with the kids. And I was a children's minister for a lot of years, and I've heard all the excuses. Oh, we travel. uh, We go camping. I can't do it. Sorry, I hunt on Sundays. I get Reds tickets a lot of times on Sundays. I come to church to get filled up myself. All false gods. We've got to decide how serious we are about this commandment. I don't think you need to pray about this. I don't think you need to think about this. I think you need to go do this. There's a way that almost everyone in this room could make room to serve God this way by serving these families once a month for less than two hours. There are a lot of other places to serve at Plum Creek, and that's part of worship, but this thing is a thing that's critical. It's a thing that can stop our growth. The reason we have this problem is because we're growing faster than we can recruit and God has a plan it's his people clearing all that stuff all those false gods out of the center and making room to serve him I started this morning saying we never know how our kids are are going to going to what our kids are going to do what can we expect from our kids and that God's people are a lot like that but I do know where the bar is set it's pretty high Scripture's clear about this, Romans 12, 1, we've already read it. In view of God's mercy, offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. What are the gods that you have at the center of your life? It's hard to move that thing out of the center. I know that. I've got them too. But we have to do it to live the way God created us to live. It's the only way that we'll ever find real fulfillment. In fact, if If you're feeling empty or lost or unfulfilled, you have a false God at the center of your life because the real God never makes you feel that way. And you're finding out that that false God that you put there is lying to you. The sports team you built your life around, they lost. The job that defines who you are, it didn't lead where you thought it would lead. 
The car you bought, that boat you purchased, the house that you mortgaged for 30 years didn't make your life any better. Your Facebook friends, they let you down. False gods lie. But the real God brings fulfillment. He keeps his promises. And only having him at the center of our life will work. He can't be at the fringe along with all the other gods. He created us to have him at the center. And I know that's hard. But he keeps his promises. And he promises to do this work for us if we allow. And that's the beautiful thing. I want to leave you with this. I'm going to end with this. A passage from Ezekiel chapter 36. Just listen to what God says. I will sprinkle water on you. I will sprinkle water on you. And you shall be clean from all your uncleanness. And from all your idols, I will cleanse you, says the Lord. And I will give you a new heart. And a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. He does all that because he doesn't want us to suffer. Let's pray. Father, I just come to you again and thank you for your word. I thank you for the chance to be able to, in, to, to, be, able to be in your word every week and to, to have the privilege to teach it. And Father, I just uh, thank you that, uh, that your word is clear, that you love us, that you've made us free, that you've made us part of your family. And Father, I thank you for the way that you gave us the law to help us to know who you are and how we should live the way we're created to live. But Father, we mess that up. And Father, I know that 1,500 years later, you sent Jesus to be the example for us, to fulfill the law. And Father, we couldn't have done it on our own, but we can trust in Jesus, and he will save us. Father, I thank you for the way that he did that. Father, this week, I just pray that everybody in this room will start to identify those false gods that we worship. Father, that you would keep your promise like you always do and help us to move those liars out of the center of our life. And Father, we know when we put you at the center, you'll bring fulfillment. That's the promise you made. So Father, we just rest on that promise today. We thank you for Jesus. We thank you for the way that you love us. Amen.